In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners. Now at the hour of our death. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your divine love. Send forth your spirit and they shall be created. Let us pray. O God, who did instruct the hearts of your faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us by the same Spirit we may be truly wise. And ever rejoice in his consolation to the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Lady Guadalupe. Pray for us. Saint Joseph. Father Bonlanteri, Saint Ignatius, Saint John the Baptist, all God's angels and saints. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. So good evening. So just a, a wonderful reminder that today we celebrate. This evening we celebrate the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. So uh, today and tomorrow should be a time of great joy and rejoicing because of this great privilege. And I think I made an allusion to it yesterday. And um, just a brief summary of what that is. And then I'd like to enter into our topic, which will be indirectly related to this privilege is that Mary has many great privileges, and uh, among which would be the Immaculate Conception, the second would be her perpetual virginity, third would be Mary's divine maternity, and then we also have Mary's assumption into heaven. Those are called the four Marian dogmas, or four Marian privileges. So, the Immaculate Conception, her perpetual virginity, then we have Mary's divine maternity, and then we have Mary's assumption into heaven. Those would be the four Marian dogmas. Uh, the Immaculate Conception, which we celebrate today, was uh, proclaimed about 150 years ago by Pope Pius IX, and he proclaimed Mary. The Immaculate Conception means that Mary, in the very moment of her conception, Mary was preserved from the stain of original sin. So when we enter into the world, because of the sin of Adam and Eve, we enter into the world with the stain of original sin. And even though, even though, uh, we're baptized, bapt- the baptism washes away the stain of original sin, still there are what are called the effects of original sin. And that's called concupiscence. And if you've done, concupiscence is a technical word that Thomas Aquinas developed. And that means certain tendencies towards sin. And we see these these tendencies in the capital sins. The capital sins would be, we've done the exercises, the seven capital sins, gluttony and lust and avarice, sloth, envy, anger, and pride. Those are the 
seven capital sins, which are the effects of original sin. So Mary never had any original sin, and that also means that Mary never had these bad tendencies. So this is really what the Immaculate Conception is. And if we if we uh, honor the Immaculate Conception, which we're going to be doing today, tomorrow, and hopefully all our lives, Mary will give us special graces. And one of the graces Mary will give us is the grace to want to avoid sin. Uh, I just finished the Mass in Spanish, and I gave a five or six minute homily, and I told the story of, um, one of my favorite stories is the story of Scott Hahn. Scott Hahn is probably the most famous uh, Protestant convert in this country. Scott Hahn was a Presbyterian uh, pastor for many years, and then... Um, Eventually he would be converted, then Kimberly Han, his wife, would be converted too. But the story I, I said a few minutes ago was that Scott Han, before he was a Catholic, some, um, someone gave him a rosary. And he would go into the bookstores and he would buy books. But he always felt the, the tug to go in the corner and to look at the, the bad magazines. This would be probably 40, 40, 45 years ago where you didn't have the internet the way it is, but you had, you know, the Playhouse, Play, Playboy and the Penthouse. They've been around since Hugh Hefner, right? So he couldn't, and he couldn't resist. There was a real tug. Then when he was a Protestant, he prayed one rosary as a Protestant and he no longer he would no longer go back and look at those magazines. Now, he prayed as a Protestant, not really understanding what it is. So we see the, the, real, the real power of Marian devotion and the real power of praying the Holy Rosary. So that's one of the, one of the graces that Mary gives to us, that Mary gives us the grace to live a life of holiness and to be able to avoid temptation and avoid sin. So let's ask, uh, let's ask Mary uh, that she'll help us to live a life of holiness and to avoid sin. Whatever sin is, uh, is dominating our lives, let's ask Mary to break through that, that, that sinful tendency this uh, tonight and tomorrow. And when we're tempted, pray the Hail Mary, and you have that beautiful prayer, O Mary, conceive without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. All right, tonight, uh, what I'd like to do is um, give you a presentation on another, another figure that can help us in Advent. So, and it's building upon the reading that you had uh, last night, that you were meditating, hopefully, this morning which is Luke chapter 1. So uh, tonight I'd like, I'd like to talk about St. John the Baptist. Okay, so I want to talk about St. John the Baptist and have St. John the Baptist as, a, as a, a person that can help us to really live out Advent uh, so that Christ will be born in our hearts in less than three weeks. 
And um, afterward, we'll give you two articles. I wrote two articles for you. And uh, one article will be on John the Baptist. All right, so I'll give you various uh, various points to meditate upon. Okay, so Mary says yes to the angel in the Annunciation. Mary gives her fiat. She says, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done to me according to that word. So Mary conceives Jesus through the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. All right, what do we see in sacred scripture? It says, Mary went in haste to visit her cousin Elizabeth. So Mary conceived Christ. She went in haste to bring Christ to others. So when you receive Holy Communion, in many of your daily communicants, you should have this great desire in your heart to bring Christ to others. So if the communion is efficacious in you, you should feel this real stimulus, motivation, to bring Christ to others. So Mary travels about 80 kilometers uh, to a place called Ain Karim, 80 kilometers, about 55 miles, probably traveling about four days, going to the hill country. So when Mary arrives in this surprise visit, it was a surprise visit, like the surprise birthday party I mentioned yesterday about my mother, her 80th, okay? So there's a surprise visit. So Mary greets her cousin Elizabeth. And what happens is the baby in the womb of St. Elizabeth leaps for joy. The baby in the womb of Elizabeth leaps for joy. And then there's this dialogue between Mary and St. Elizabeth. Mary greets Elizabeth and Elizabeth says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Because the sound of your greeting, the baby leapt in my womb. Blessed is she who believes that the word of God would be accomplished in her. So those are the words of St. Elizabeth to Mary. Now when the baby leaps in the womb, that's St. John the Baptist, Okay, according to St. Augustine, that through this encounter, John the Baptist is liberated from original sin. This is St. Augustine now. Okay? There's a lot in that. Now you can spend a lot of time meditating upon that. So it's the, it's, it's the word of Mary, probably she said shalom, because that's the way that the Jewish people would greet each other with the word shalom. So with that, the baby leaps for joy. So through the word of Mary and through the silent presence of Jesus, John the Baptist is being liberated from the stain of original sin. So once once again, we're going back to that concept we want to live, 
We want to live a life of holiness. We have to go to God. But God chose Mary to be Mary to be the channel by which Christ is going to come into the world. So Mary is the quickest, the shortest, the most efficacious pathway to Christ is through Mary. That's why I said with a real passion at the end of the Mass a couple of minutes ago, for the love of God, pray the rosary in your family. Okay, For the love of God, pray the rosary in your family. Pray the rosary in your family, you're going, to, you're going to bring your family to God. So, that's a passionate appeal to all people to make sure that you pray the rosary in your family on a daily basis. And don't simply depend upon feelings. I don't feel like it tonight, okay? If you don't feel like praying the rosary, then pray too, okay? Okay? So, you want, yeah, you don't want to pray the rosary, but you, then you, right away you tell your kids we're going to pray two rosaries. So don't give in to the bad spirit. All right. So that's the first uh, reflection is that Mary, well, Mary was instrumental. Mary was instrumental in the sanctification of John the Baptist. But not simply Mary because when Mary was there, Jesus, Jesus was in the womb of John the Baptist. So there's a connection between Mary's word and the silent presence of the Redeemer in the womb of Mary. So Mary and Jesus, they always work in harmony. They're never, there's no separation or divorce between Mary and Jesus. They were always working in perfect harmony. All right. Then John the Baptist, John the Baptist is born. And he's given the name, the name that was given to him by the Archangel Gabriel as well as his father Zechariah. His name will be John. His name will be John. We can reflect upon the importance of names. Our own names, the names we give our children, but especially the greatest of all names. And that name is Jesus Christ. Okay, we're going to be honoring Jesus Christ and his name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven, on earth, and underneath the earth shall bow. We read in the letter of St. Paul to the Philippians. No, the name of Jesus. So let us, uh, let us go deeper into the holy names of Jesus and Mary. A way in which we can honor that is get in the habit of praying the divine praises. When I make my thanksgiving after Holy Communion, I have various ways in which I make my thanksgiving. One is, one is I will often say the divine praises. And those divine praises are, Blessed be God. Blessed be His holy name. Blessed be Jesus Christ, true God and true man. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be his most sacred heart. Blessed be his most precious blood. Blessed be Jesus in the most holy sacrament, the altar. Blessed be the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. Blessed be the great mother of God, Mary most holy. Blessed be her holy and immaculate conception. Blessed be her glorious assumption. 
Blessed be the name of Mary, Virgin and Mother. Blessed be Saint Joseph, her most chaste spouse. Blessed be God and his angels and his saints. May the heart of Jesus and the most blessed sacrament be praised, adored, worshipped with grateful affection in all the tabernacles of the world now and until the end of time. Amen. And then if you like, I could say it in Spanish, if you like, okay? Now look, um, look, look at the memory of Father Broom. Would you like to improve your memory? Yes, Father. Would you? Yes, Father. You sure about that? <laughs> and most people, if I say that, they're going to go to the pharmacy and buy some memory pills. <laughs> but then they'll forget to take them, probably. <laughs> probably, no? Do you want to know the secret? Really? Yes, Father. Okay, if you, if you take this seriously and you do it, um, uh, okay, I promise you when you come back in one month, you're going to recognize that your, your, your memory, your understanding, and your imagination is going to be much more refined. Okay, here's the secret. Receiving Holy Communion with fiery devotion. Try it. You don't believe me, do you? You don't believe me. Do you believe me? Because when you receive Holy Communion, you receive Jesus Christ. You receive His body, his blood, his soul, and his divinity. So not only when you receive Holy Communion do you have what is called a spiritual heart transplant. That's not simply metaphorical or poetic. It's true. So every time you receive Holy Communion, you have a spiritual heart transplant because you receive the body of Christ, right? Hello? But also, you have a mind transplant. I feel, I feel actually, I've always had a pretty good memory, but I feel as I get older, my memory is getting better and better. In about two years, I'll be 70. So usually 70 people are dying, okay? So I'm praying that as I get older, that my memory will get better and better, and I won't have Alzheimer's. No? Amen? Amen. Try it. Try it. St. Paul says, you have the mind of Christ. And St. Paul says, put on the mind of Christ. So when do we put on the mind of Christ? Every time we receive Holy Communion, you're putting on the mind of Christ. I think, my friends, I think we, we, we underestimate the importance of cultivating our mind. We arrive at a certain age where our mind becomes dormant, probably most of us, and it shouldn't be that way. Our mind becomes dormant, it becomes stultified, it becomes stagnant. 
Uh, I think that we can easily fall into that. Become stale. But it doesn't have to. So, you, you, re, you receive Holy Communion, you got the mind of Christ. So, next time you receive Holy Communion, ask the Lord to give you His sacred heart, but ask Him to give you His mind. Try it. And see what happens after a month. He said, in the mind, there are, in the mind there's three different faculties in the mind according to Aristotle and Thomas Aquinas. Which would be, we've got our memory, so we have our understanding, and we have our imagination. Those are the three intellectual faculties of the whole, of the human person. You've got, you've got your, you've got a memory. You've got an understanding. Then you have your imagination. What is the memory? The memory brings to the present past events. That's my definition of a memory. Pretty good one, right? So it's bringing to the present past events that we've experienced. Many of us are blocked because we're clinging to to Ugly past memories. So if you're clinging to ugly past memories, that's going to be that's going to be blocking the the develop of your mind. We cling to ugly past memories, past hurts, maybe impure images. We cling to that. And we actually can be, we can become a slave of those past memories. Yeah, we can become a slave of those past memories. So, ask the Lord in Holy Communion, in honor of Mary and St. John the Baptist, who we're talking about today, to, to burn away, to purify the ugly memories of the past. But you have to you have to ask with faith. Jesus said, "Ask and you'll receive; seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. Beg for the grace. Then understanding, understanding. Okay, I gave you something to meditate upon. I gave you Luke chapter one." If you have the gift of understanding, you probably want to meditate upon that another four hours because it's so rich. The understanding gives you ability to to penetrate the truth that's present in the Word of God. As if the Word of God is, is almost jumping out at you and is grabbing you. And you're allowing it to transform you. So you have you have the memory of Christ. You have His understanding. Then you have His imagination. So, 
The memory bringing to present things that happened in the past. Bringing, bringing good memories to the present that happened in the past. Understanding you're able to penetrate the truth behind reality, especially now that we're doing a retreat. Penetrate the truth be, that's there in the Word of God. As Paul says, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then the imagination. I wonder how many of us have, have probably, I don't think anyone here has ever really worked on controlling his imagination. I don't think anyone, any, it never even occurred to you. I think we should. Okay, you do an eight-day retreat with Father Broom. What am I going to do? Have any of you made the eight-day retreat with Father Broom? None of you, okay? I think you did in that, didn't you? What do I do? I'm trying to train you to contemplate. What do I do? I paint word pictures with my tongue of the Annunciation, the Visitation, Jesus walking on the water. Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus hanging on the cross. Jesus hanging on the cross, his mother Mary beneath the cross, and St. John the Evangelist is there. So what we're doing is, through Ignatian contemplation, we're painting. We're painting in our memory these by utilizing our imagination. I'm, I'm rereading a book that I read 50 years ago, and it's the, the greatest book ever written on the rosary. There's no, there, there's no book that comes close to it. And all of you, if you love Mary, you should all read it and try to understand it. It's called The Secret of the Rosary by St. Louis de Montfort. Most of you have heard of true devotion to Mary, right? Some of you have consecrated yourself through true devotion to Mary. But few know that he wrote also Secret of Mary, which is a summary of true devotion to Mary. But he also wrote The Secret of the Rosary. The Secret of the Rosary of St. Louis de Mont is very much what I'm saying about the training of the imagination. And it's, he says, when you pray the rosary, the rosary is like a human body. You got the, the physical part of the human body, our body, but then you have the soul. So the, vo- the vocal words, the Our Father, Hail Mary, Glory Be, that would be the body. Whereas the soul would be the contemplation. So the body would be the Our Father, Hail Mary, Glory Be. That should be like background music. You don't have to be focusing on every word, 
Otherwise, you're going to go crazy, you know? So that can be the background music. Background music. Then the contemplation, the contemplation uh, of the mysteries would be the soul of the rosary. And then St. Louis de Montfort says, every time we, we pray and we contemplate those mysteries, the Holy Spirit comes with a paintbrush and he's painting in your soul like a canvas. You know what a canvas is? Mm-hmm. Canvas? Your soul is a, is a canvas. He's painting in your soul the virtues of Jesus and Mary. She'll become like Jesus and Mary. So, let's, uh, let's ask as we get closer to Christmas for this, uh, this mind transplant that we will have the mind of Christ. And we'll have his memory. We'll have his understanding. We'll have his imagination. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's move on with John the Baptist, some of the other virtues that he teaches us. After John the Baptist, uh, he grows up, he, he leaves his home and he spends time in the desert. He has what's called the desert experience. What are, okay, what, are the, what are the virtues we learn from the desert experience? Maybe you've, maybe you spend some time going through a desert, okay? Or maybe read a book on the desert. Okay, the desert experience, the, 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 the fathers of the church, the desert monks speak about the importance of all of us going through a desert experience. Well, Jesus went through it. He spent 40 days and 40 nights in the desert, right? Okay, the desert experience of St. John the Baptist teaches us first the importance of separating ourselves from the noise of the modern world. So the importance of silence. The importance of silence. Do you have silence in your life? If you don't have silence in your life, there's something wrong. You should, you should be longing to communicate with others the word of God. But if you don't have a real longing for silence in your life, there's something wrong with your spiritual life. There's something wrong with your spiritual life if you don't long for, not that you're going to be a desert monk or going to be Kermit the Hermit that lost his permit, okay? But longing, longing for this silence in a modern society in which you're bombarded by so much noises. I call it noise, noise pollution. Pope Paul VI, in his, one of his writings, says that, man, what a, what a writer Paul VI. We're bombarded by the cacophony of strident protests. Man, I love that. I love English, don't you? Bombarded by the cacophony of strident protests. 
Probably most of, most of us don't even know what cacophony means. Huh? <laughs> you never heard that. It's a good word. It's a good college word. Cacophony of strident protest. Pope Paul VI is writing 60 years ago. The opposite of the cacophony of strident protest would be the silent breeze of the Holy Spirit. Amen? The exact opposite. So silence. The next would be that of because of silence that leads us to prayer. It disposes us for prayer. What else did John the Baptist do? Well, while in his desert, he practiced a life of great penance. A life of great penance, a life of great mortification. Penance in many forms. He's exposed to the elements of nature. What was his meal? I mean, he didn't, he couldn't go to In and Out, okay? Or Taco Bell, or Chuck E. Cheese, no? Or Black Angus, no? You know, his, his, his food, he didn't provide upon fast food that was provided for him. He just ate what was there in nature. And what he had was, you know, how would you like to eat locusts and wild honey. Maybe you like the wild honey, but don't, maybe you don't like the locusts, no? A life of great simplicity. A life of great frugality. And you see pictures of him. He doesn't look like a, an emaciated wimp, does he? I mean, you see pictures of him, you see him almost like... You think Padre Pio, no, a strong, masculine man. So he's a man of, of great discipline, a man of austerity, a man of mortification, a man practicing great asceticism. What was his clothes? Did he go to Nordstrom's or Macy's or any of those places? No. I don't think so, did they? You know what he actually wore? Camel's fur. Maybe you can go to a store and buy a camel's fur dress for Christmas. Right, Jessica? Yeah. What he what he's teaching us is to avoid vanity in all forms. Avoiding vanity and materialism. And also in the desert experience, the desert experience is a place where we also encounter the devil. Okay? Jesus was tempted, uh, Jesus was tempted uh, by the devil, and he was able to overcome the devil. St. Anthony of the desert, you ever read his life? He encountered the devil in the desert. What are the what are the three principal tools that that um, John the Baptist as well as Jesus used to overcome the devil? We see in the temptations of Jesus would be Jesus 
He prayed 40 days. He fasted 40 days. And Jesus, he used the word of God. Even though there was temptation in Matthew chapter 4, is the devil comes at Jesus with a temptation taken from the word of God. Why didn't you turn those stones into bread? And Jesus says what? Man does not live on on what? On bread alone, but on the word that comes forth from the mouth of God. So there you want to overcome the devil. Prayer, fasting, and using the word of God. And there's Marian feast, and Mary crushes the head of the devil too, right? The Proto-Evangelium. Mary, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and she will crush your head. Guadalupe means crushing the head. Okay, so here we here, here we see John, John the Baptist, John the Baptist, preparing himself for his mission. I believe this is a very select group of individuals. Uh, I believe all of you have to prepare yourself to become great saints. Amen? Amen. Amen. Or oh me. Okay. <laughs> Amen, right? All of us to all of us should prepare ourselves to, be, to become great saints. So that demands a lot of work a lot of discipline, a lot of penance, a lot of crosses, a lot of suffering. You hear me? Okay. A lot of all those are part and parcel of growing in your spiritual life, according to Saint John of the Cross, who's the mystical doctor of the Church. So you're not normally you're not you're, you're not going to arrive at a high degree of holiness. If you don't really, you really, you got to really work at it. You hear me? Yes. You want to become a saint? You got, you got, you got to pay the price. Yeah. Long hours in prayer. Certain penances. And John the Cross says, sooner or later, you're going to get a lot of crosses. So don't become discouraged if you have a lot of crosses. Those people have done the exercises with me. They say, Father, I've never had so many crosses in my life since I did the exercises with you. You're guilty of this, Father Broom. Well, okay, I'm the culprit. I admit, I am. And when you come complaining to me, I'll, I'll, I'll assuage or calm your intranquility saying, hey, that's a good sign. That's a good sign. God, you're already in, in, in spiritual boot camp, Okay? Know what that is? You're in spiritual boot camp where you're preparing yourself for the good fight. You know, God is happy with one soul that wants to become a saint than hundreds of thousands of mediocre Catholics. So if one person, if this retreat, one or two of you take seriously the fact you want to become a saint, this was a huge retreat. Even one of you. Is that going to be you? You're responding very sheepishly. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Why wait until tomorrow? 
I'm launching the challenge. I'm dropping the net. Accept the challenge. Then undertake all the process it takes so you can become the greatest saint in the world. The saint that God wants you to be. Accept it. You're not here by chance. My style is I'm always raising the bar, right? Hello? Yes, Father. Do you want me to lower it? No. I think I'd be insulting your intelligence. I want to keep raising the bar for myself, too. For myself, too. I want to keep raising... And I'm, I'm going to trip over the bar, but I'm going to try to jump higher. And jump higher. Jump higher. If you're a runner, okay, it's going to be... You're going to be cutting down the minutes, okay? Cutting down the seconds. We're spiritual athletes, right? Yes, you have to run the good race. We have to fight the good fight. St. Paul uses these images from the Greek Olympics, Olympics in his writings. Okay, so take that, take that, that, that formation process of John the Baptist and pray for the grace that we'll be able to enter into this, this spiritual training ground, boot camp, and be willing to count the cost. Hey, let's work hard in this life and we can rest forever in heaven. That's my motto. What about you? Let's, let's, let's work hard in this life and for all eternity, Andy, we can rest in heaven. What do you think? Hello? Yeah, let's do it. Let's work hard now. Jack and Charlie, what do you think? I mean, you're young. Let's work hard now. Forever you can rest in heaven. No, Jessica? Let's work work hard now and we can rest forever in heaven. What do you think? Now's the time. Not to put it off until tomorrow. Too many of us follow la philosophy de la mañana. I'll do it tomorrow. Well, you know, don't put it off. As Paul says in Romans 13, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Tomorrow never arrives anyway, right? So let's take one more, one more um, event in the life of John the Baptist. Most people tend to be either we become a God pleaser or a people pleaser. I think most people are people pleasers. Hello. Yes, Father. I think almost all of us have a tendency to be people pleasers. We want to please people. So our criteria is, is this going to please this person? But we don't stop and think, is this going to please God? We got it backwards. Right? Yeah, right away, is this going to please people? And if it does, fine. But first, is this going to please God? If this is going to please God and please people, can praise the Lord. But if by doing this, I'm going to be pleasing a lot of people, but offending God, better to suffer for God, right? What is the eighth beatitude? John, Father John Lyons said, if you live out the first seven beatitudes, the prize is the eighth beatitude, you're going to be persecuted for Christ's sake. <laughs> and there was a homily that Father John Lyons, he was here before any of you were here. But he would say, if you live out seven of the Beatitudes, the prize is, the eighth, you're going to be persecuted for the name of Christ. 
But rejoice. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Huh? Right? Rejoice. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's see, uh, let's see what happens at the end of his life. Okay, it's a birthday party. So John, okay, we're going to jump to the very end of the life of John the Baptist. And I think the way his life ends is very applicable for us today in the society in which we're living because the wokeism, everyone wants to please other people. What about God? We want to please God. We please other people, fine, but we want to please God. And sometimes we, we've got to be countercultural. We've got to sometimes swim against the current, okay? Do you ever hear these words of Jesus? I have not come to bring peace, but rather division. Father against daughter, father against son, and son against mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against mother. So Jesus gives a whole line of these different tensions that sometimes exist in families. And I think you've experienced that since you've done the exercises, right? Yes, Father. Have you? Yes, Father. Is that you're really trying to live, and you're kind of you're kind of a, a thorn in the side of most of your family members, no? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Why are you such a fanatic? You're a religious nut, no? You know, you're you've gone over the hill. I mean, you're you're overboard. You're a freak. No? You're a fanatic. No. So don't don't feel bad that they call you a freak or a fanatic. You know the saints were called that too. Now, your spiritual life is ascending, but if you compare yourself to the to the saints, don't become discouraged. But we we see how how far we are from a John Bosco, right? How far we are from Mother Teresa. How far we are from St. Faustina. How far we are from Maximilian Colby. How far we are from a Charles Borromeo. How far we are from St. Francis Cabrini. Now don't become discouraged. But rather allow these saints to motivate us to go, to keep climbing. No, don't just stay where we're at, to keep climbing. So John the Baptist, okay, he had the, he, here's another virtue, he had courage. And he wasn't, he was not a people pleaser, he was a God pleaser. He was not a people pleaser. Because back then, back then, when he lived, there was a, there was a terrible public scandal. Okay, a, te- a terrible public scandal. Which was you had a an adulterous incestuous relation. So you get adultery and incest. Adultery is bad, but incest is even worse. How do you like it if your husband gets up and starts to live with your sister? Would you like that? It'd be terrible, wouldn't it? So that's basically basically what was happening, is that John the Baptist. Every, Everyone knew it, but they wouldn't say anything. 
Everybody knows that Herod, he takes, he takes the wife of his brother. And he's living publicly with the wife of his brother. Everyone knew about that. No one had the courage to confront him. Except one person. And that was? Hello? John the Baptist was the only one that had the courage to confront him and and he said, what you're doing, it's not listed for you to be living with the wife of your brother. He said it very bluntly. So, this woman hated his guts. Herod was fascinated by him. Herod, Herod, Herod was fascinated. He, he was aware of this. This man is a holy man, and he's telling the truth. But Herodias hated his guts, okay, and wanted him dead. So the opportunity arises. You know the context. It's the birthday party of Herod, and Herod has all of his friends and the top officials. There at the at the at the banquet, and it's not it's not said explicitly, but he was probably probably bombed. Okay, mm-hmm. and this girl, what is she doing? Her, her the name of the girl the the girl is Salome, which was the daughter of Herodias. Probably a very provocative dance. Okay, very sinful provocative dance. So look at all these capital sins of Herod. He's drinking. He's a coward. He's lusting after the daughter of the woman. He's pretty ugly, isn't it? No. And I mean, you have to read in between the lines, no. And then he makes this. He makes this extravagant promise. <laughs> he he says he says to the girl, "I'll give you whatever you want." Even up to half of my kingdom. That's a lot, isn't it? Now the girl runs to the mother, says, "What should what should I ask for?" And now the mother has a has the chance to get even with John the Baptist because she wants she wants to get even with she wants to get seek revenge. Give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Now. Herod didn't want to do this, but he made this public promise. So he sends there the executioners and they they decapitate John the Baptist. And they bring the head of John the Baptist into the banquet party. Imagine that, having a, a birthday party and someone's head is chopped off, bring, brought in, in the middle of the party. You know? it's, it's horrible, but at the same time, you see, what, what holiness of this man. He was not a people pleaser. But John the Baptist was a God pleaser. Let's step back and ask ourselves what was the principal reason for why John the Baptist was incarcerated 
and he was put to death. What was the principal reason for his demise, so to speak? Is because he denounced adultery and he denounced the sin against marriage and he was basically professing the indissoluble character of the sacrament of marriage. He was basically dying to defend the importance of holy matrimony. I'd like to give you a parallel to it to see how, see the, the ripple effect of sin, how sin, how, how sin can end up by doing so much evil. My, my great, great relatives on my father's side, they come from England. Okay, Broome is English, okay, goes all the way back to England, okay. What happened in the 1500s? The same thing that happened with King Herod happened in the 1500s. You had another king. His his name was Henry VIII. His name was Henry VIII. Henry VIII was one of the most powerful men in Europe back in the 1500s. And he's the head of one of the most powerful Catholic countries in the world. England. England up to the 1500s was a very, was known as the Dowry of Mary because it had so much devotion to Mary. And you, you read, any of you read some of the writings. Julian of Norwich, England's got the greatest writings in the world. The Cloud of Unknowing. So, Thomas More, seeing Henry VIII, Henry VIII was married to Catherine Aragon. They couldn't have children. And what did he do? He saw a beautiful woman, her name was Anne Boleyn. So he falls in love with Anne Boleyn, and he discards his wife. And then he lives with Anne Boleyn. And he says to the Holy Father, let, okay, let me, let, let me, let me live with Anne Boleyn. The Holy Father clamps down and says, you can't do that because that's a, that's adultery. So what does he do? He severs himself from the church. And he sets himself, he sets himself up as what? As the head of the, of the Church of England. It's called the Anglican Church. And he turns, to who was his best friend, his name was Thomas More. They were good friends. Henry they admired Thomas More for his keen intellect, for his wit, for his political skills, for his social skills. He, he, I mean, he just loved Thomas More. Now he becomes, he's going to become the worst enemy of Thomas More. And he turns to Thomas More, who was the the Chancellor of England, the second most powerful person in England, and says, you have to accept my relationship. Thomas More says, I've got two kings, but the king of the universe is number one. So Thomas More, Thomas More, he, 
he, he, he resigned as Chancellor of England. He goes to his country house and they seek him out. And what do they do? They incarcerate him. They put him in the famous Tower of London. There he is in the Tower of London. And everyone, everyone, even his wife and his children, tried to get Thomas More to give in to the king. Thomas More would not give in to the king. And as a result of this, Thomas More, after a year in the Tower of London, Thomas More was beheaded. Almost at the same time as John Fisher. John Fisher, who happened to be the only, the only bishop in England that didn't give in to King Henry VIII. So there's a real parallel between John the Baptist and Sir Thomas More. So what can we take away from the person of John the Baptist? I would say first is that John the Baptist was sanctified in the womb by the word of Mary and by the presence of Jesus Christ. Second is John the Baptist prepared himself for his mission. Okay? He prepared himself for his mission by his desert experience. The desert experience is silence, which leads to prayer and to self-denial, and to penance, and to fasting, and to asceticism, encountering the evil spirit, the devil, but conquering the evil spirit by prayer and penance and the word of God. And that prepared John the Baptist to be the strong soldier of Christ. He's not going to be, as Jesus said, like a reed blown by the wind, okay? Rather, John the Baptist was a God-pleaser and not a people-pleaser. So that's, uh, that's the message I'd like to leave on your heart today, the person of John the Baptist. Let's turn to John the Baptist as we honor Mary in the Immaculate Conception, that all of us will try to become saints. Yes. Amen? Amen. Maybe, maybe this little mini-retreat is going to be a turning point in the life of all of us. We're going to be moving out of a certain mediocrity, lukewarmness that we tend to have in our spiritual lives and put us on the highway to holiness. Amen. 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 Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among them, and blessed the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners. Now the hour of death, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The Lord be with you. Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Elvira has a couple of announcements. Yeah. If you would just take a seat for a few minutes, please. Thank you.